Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Dr. Miles, who we're going to refer to as D. Welcome to the show. Henry, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Same here. Thanks Thanks for being with us. Uh, Dr. Miles is an entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Miles Development Industries Corporation. And they're a consulting practice and a venture capital acquisition firm. Uh, Dr. Miles is an award-winning professor and researcher. He also serves as a legal expert witness who provides expert testimony for local, state, and federal court cases. Very interesting. Well, chat about that if we have time. Uh, Dr. Miles is also a radio talk show host and executive producer of Game on Business Talk Radio Show. Uh, a nationally known expert in the field of entrepreneurship and marketing, Dr. Miles is a best-selling author of Risk Factors and Business Models, Understanding the Five Forces of Entrepreneurial Risk. And we're going to do a deeper dive into some of the great topics in that book on our episode today. We'll start with his entrepreneurial journey, where where he started and how he got to where he's at today, and then talk about these risk factors that entrepreneurs have to face and mitigate and overcome to be successful in business. He lives in the San Antonio area of Texas, so down the road from me in Dallas, Texas. And so once again, Dr. Miles, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Henry. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. We're, we're privileged to have you. So let's get started, if we could, at the beginning of your journey. Uh, you got a bachelor's in, in business administration initially. Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Some marketing. That was my specialization. Yeah. Uh-huh. So back then when you were going to school, you then went on later to get your master's. And of course, you have your PhD now. Uh, what was your thinking back then as to what you were going to do? Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur or what, what was your vision back then early on? You want to hear an interesting story, Henry? Um, when I was uh, uh, when I was an undergrad, I was working on my uh, uh, BBA in marketing. I had a professor that I met, named Dr. Jude Valdez, and he's still affiliated with the university. And I took a class my graduating semester. I took a class called Small Business Management, hmm. and uh, he treated us like graduate students. He says, "I'm not going to babysit you." So what we had to do was. Uh, we had to go develop a business plan for a live business, for a real business. And I don't know if I got the bug then or if I was I just waited. It was a delayed reaction later in my career. But I learned how to do a business plan and I learned how to work with a real business. And, you know, a lot of businesses, as you know, don't have a business plan. So um, me and a partner, we did a business plan for his dad's automotive company and we increased sales probably about probably about 20 to 30 percent it was a really interesting class and i i uh, actually when i was interviewed by the university because they did a they did a um, profile on me and i talked about how that class shaped my future and i didn't realize it wow 
Oh, absolutely. It, it had that much impact on you. So, did you have influences early in life from your parents or other family members who might have been entrepreneurial? I uh, a little bit from my grandfather. My grandfather had his own gas station. Wow. And I and uh, he had a mechanic shop. And my dad used to tell me that he didn't want to be an entrepreneur. So my dad went to school, but my grandfather used to make them uh, work at a shop, and he made them cut their teeth and learn how to work on cars. My dad said he would never do that as living, and I didn't find this out until probably later, but it was a, it was a great influence. I mean, my dad instilled some entrepreneurial uh, uh, characteristics into me, like uh, if you see somebody's grass and he's cut, why don't you go ask him if it needs to be cut? Now you just created a little business for yourself. Yeah, yeah, just that yeah. resourcefulness and just absolutely fig figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I've had I've had brushes with uh, starting my own business since ever, ever since I can remember, and I really didn't get involved or I really didn't take it serious until later on in my career when I went and started working on my doctorate when I actually studied entrepreneurship as a field of study. Yeah. So that's uh that's what happened with me. Yeah, if I understand correctly, your your dissertation for your PhD was assessing business risk uh, and the entrepreneurial risk assessment scale that you developed, right? Absolutely. I uh, I uh, wanted to measure risk patterns in business ventures, new ventures and uh, incumbent businesses. And I want to measure uh, risk based on a uh, index that I created called Entrepreneurial Risk Orientation Index Scale. And uh, I was a, it was a fascinating study that I creeped up on. Yeah, and it's obviously now at the heart of, in, in, or part of the book. So it's become, or it has remained a focus for you, helping people navigate the risks, understanding the risks of entrepreneurship. What, what is it about that that appealed to you, that, that part of it, the oh, understanding the, the risk and, and mitigating risk? Sure. The, the, the impetus for my study was uh, I was actually doing some consulting work on the side while I was working on doing my doctoral work. And I was just fascinated why businesses failed. And I was also fascinated why how can why are some businesses successful opposed to other businesses? And I was also fascinated why how can a business be so risky? And you don't you, you're not able to see that when you start the business. Mm. So that really got my juices going. And I also uh, I actually presented on a similar topic in uh, Tucson, Arizona. I was uh, doing something completely different on my uh, for my dissertation and my doctor work. And uh, I presented on a similar topic on, on uh, risk metrics. And when I presented at the uh, conference, I got such a positive response. And they uh, mentioned to me that I should consider pursuing that as doctor work. So I, uh, it was just a matter of fate that that happened. And I, and I believe that I picked the right topic to uh, talk about entrepreneurial risk and some of the factors that influence business failure or success. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go off on that tangent just for a moment, Dee, we'll, sure. and we'll come back to it because it's so interesting to me. It seems to me that, and I'd like you to tell me if you're on to the same thing, that people kind of overlook the risk factors because we fall in love with a business idea or a concept. Have you found that to be one of the reasons why people overlook these seemingly obvious risks? I would uh, definitely agree with that. And uh, what I found, Henry, is when I was doing my work, there were virtually no books on entrepreneurial risk. And I just found that disheartening to me. Like, well, you talk about people starting a business, you're talking about a key element with entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship actually comes to the field of economics. And I was just 
fascinated that there were no books on risk. If you look at the average entrepreneurship book, and I believe it's still like that to this day, you may have a one paragraph out of a 300-page book that talks about risk. Right. They talk about everything else, but they don't talk about uh, market entry risk, market potential risk, customer turnover risk, uh, operational risk. And I was just fascinated why isn't entrepreneurship treating risk as a part of the field of study. So that's what, uh, that what inspired me to take this as a serious topic for uh, investigation. It's got to be in part, I have to think, that people don't want to talk about the negative and the negative doesn't sell. I would probably agree with that. I'll probably even take this a step further. I believe that uh, entrepreneurship is like this. It's like social Darwinism. Many are called, but few are chosen. Mm. And only the, only, the, only, the survive, only the ones that are going to survive are the survival of the fittest. So a lot of times when you look at entrepreneurship books, they show you the rose-colored glasses about entrepreneurship, that it's a great thing. You're starting your business. But you also have to remember for every successful venture, there's about a million or more that did the same thing and didn't start. Or didn't just could not get it off the ground and they failed. Sometimes it's timing. Sometimes you're in, a mar- you're in the wrong market. Sometimes you're targeting the wrong market segment. So a lot of those things have a lot to do with, you know, how you start the business and how you want to pursue it and what particular market you're going after. And I also believe this, Henry, that marketing and entrepreneurship are two sides of the same coin. I see. Starting a business is like starting a new product. You know, you have to find the mar- you have to find a gap in a marketplace. So entrepreneurship has to talk about risk. It has to talk about the economics of risk. Yeah. Very insightful. Good points there. All right, let me go back to then your career. You went on to uh, be a market analyst. Uh, you have been a professor. Um, lots of different things you did. What what kind of drove you when you decided to do one thing or another, either go work as an analyst or become a professor? What drove you? What was it that you were looking for? Oh, from being an analyst to be an entrepreneur? Well, which one? Yeah, or, or to be a professor. It seems like you've done a little bit of everything. How is it okay. that you go about making decisions on what you do next from these chapters in life that you've had? How do you go about deciding, yeah, I, I'm going to go do that for a while, or I'm going to go be a market analyst? Or, I mean, you've been a professor at various universities. How do you go up about making those decisions, and what drives you? Well, uh, one of the key things that uh, – helping for me and uh, talk about revisiting the bug that I had. One of the key things that happened with me was when I was working at the bank, our department got downsized. I see. And I was one of the casualties of that. And I, I said to myself that I would never let somebody decide how much money I make when I have a job, when I don't have a job. And a lot of times when people get downsized and it happened to me and I'm, you know, we're talking war stories here. You are so distraught about losing a job that was never yours, that you never owned, that you're that you become blind or myopic to the opportunities that are around you. You never think about if I go start if I start me a business and I go get a contract and I have a contract with three companies, that means I make money from three companies instead of one company. So when you have a job, having a job is like having one client. And when that client no longer wants to uh, keep the relationship, they end the relationship. That's what happens when uh, you, you're, you're, you have an employer. You're a human resource that can be replaced at any time. So I got my wake-up call when I was 37 years old. So I said, that's never going to happen to me again. My second daughter was just born. 
it actually made me angry. And I took that anger and I put it into starting my business. Yeah. And, so you, and, you were you were 37, D, and, and, mm-hmm. and yet you had studied entrepreneurship. What had kept you, I'm sure it's part of what you're just talking about, that, that yes. comfort that we develop and thinking that there's a security there to some extent. Was that part uh-huh. of what kept you doing that as opposed to having started your own business earlier? Uh, I believe you're correct. I thought I worked at a bank. You know, the banking is one of the most secure industries or whatever. But when the Internet happened around the 90s when I was working at the bank, People no longer needed people to work in a bank because you can go do online banking. Right. So that killed a lot of jobs, the Internet. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of the departments got eliminated. So because of that, I took a totally different mindset about uh, money making and employment. And those two things are not the same thing. And I can say this from experience. This probably happened to you, Henry. One time in your life, you're going to have epiphany about starting your business you probably ignored it a perfect example is a movie up in air with george clooney where that guy was getting fired he said uh told him hey you study culinary arts in school right how much did they pay you to make you uh, not follow your dreams and i when i saw that movie I, it made me relive where i was and i worked at the bank but they didn't it wasn't quite as dramatic as that mm-hmm. but how much money do they pay you to for you to forget your dreams yeah because and we have to understand that a job can you can be replaced even worse now than it was in the 90s when I was working at the bank. So you have to have a business venture in mind on the side of your employment because you never know when you're going to get that call and get that pink slip. So entrepreneurship is a humbling experience. And when you have to start a business, you're, you're, everything is depending on you. The money flows through you. So you make better decisions, you make clearer decisions because you know that if this thing doesn't work, you're the one that's responsible. Yeah, so that's yeah, go that's ahead. what drives a lot of people to start to start a business. Uh, age, you know, you you get downsized later on in your career, so you should always, you know, the new key thing now, Henry, is to have multiple streams of income. Like, like what I, the, the example I gave you earlier about having three clients that pay you, so you're getting three paychecks, you can take that and multiply it. So it's, it's, a, it's so hard for me to even consider working a job because, oh. <laughs> it, I mean, it's like once you become an entrepreneur, it's like you're a vampire. Yeah, yeah. Once you get bit, you're not the same after that. Yeah, okay? I, I always say <laughs> if I had to go back because, you know, I lost everything, I'll do it, obviously. I'll do what I got to do to support my family, but... Uh-huh. Oh, my, oh, my gosh. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. And every day that you separate yourself from that last day uh-huh. you had a job, it's harder and harder to go back, right? Oh, absolutely. And when I studied entrepreneurship in my doctor work, there's different types of entrepreneurship. And, and one book that influenced me, you want to allude to the book, one of the books that I read that inspired me to do my work was a book called uh, Cashflow Quadrant. You can start a business. You can buy a business. You can be an investor in a business. Starting a business, you may not, that doesn't work for everybody. But what if you owned, bought a business that was already in operation and you just maintained operations and improved it? Well, now you're taking that business and you're looking at another one. So they, they didn't teach me any of this in school. I had to go out here and get my knowledge. And sometimes I had to go through the school of hard knocks. They don't, the universities, and I want to preach too bad, the universities are doing the colleges, are doing these college students a disservice. Entrepreneurship should be taught in a business curriculum, just like management, 
just like accounting, just like marketing, just like finance. Because the, the, this is what you have to understand about school and universities. They're designed to, to create employees. So they have a steady supply of employees to the workforce. So you may go on a job interview and it's 100 guys with an MBA. And none of you stand out because that's the, way they, that's the way they created the climate for you to go to school, get a degree, and get a job. We have to change that mindset. You should go to school and learn a skill and then create your own job or create your own uh, career rather than work, waiting for somebody to give you a job. And I'm talking because I snapped out of it. I snapped out of it after I got my doctorate. I got my doctorate because I wanted to start my own consulting practice. I didn't get my doctorate because I wanted to be a professor. That just happens to be one of the benefits of having a doctorate sure. if I want to teach right. and share my knowledge. Mm -hmm. But I got my doctorate to start my uh, consulting practice. I looked at it like a doctor that went to medical school. I want to start my medical practice, and that's what I did. Do you think the schools, the universities that are teaching or that have an entrepreneurial program, how are those programs doing, do you think, to prepare someone for the realities of owning a business? I think they're a good start. I, you know, obviously there's, all, there's always need for improvement, but I think that we're 10 years probably behind what we should be teaching kids in school. And I believe that those are good starts. Like you should be taking classes like franchising. You should be taking classes like consulting. All of those are different forms of entrepreneurship. You should take a class called startups. You should, entrepreneurship has grown to where it's not just one thing. So each of those classes should maximize what skill level or what type of different types of entrepreneurship there are. And a lot of the schools are trying to do that, but they still haven't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. And, and so being in that environment as you have been and teaching young adults, what, what do you think is one of the big misconceptions that people have about starting a business? We, obviously, there's the big topic of risk, and we're going to dive into that. But yes. is it that? Is it that they don't even stop to think about the risk factors? Or what else are they mis, mis, misunderstanding or not understanding at all? I believe one of the biggest things that I've seen in terms of uh, – people with miscreskew entrepreneurship is they think it's easy and they think they're going to get an easy paycheck and it doesn't work like that like uh what you don't see is for every guy that you think's overnight sensation he put 10 years into the grind to get where he is you just now see him so a lot of people get disillusioned and they they believe say they quit their job and they want to start a business because they're frustrated at work well they 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 under the illusion that well, I'm going to go right into this and everything's going to be great. Entrepreneurship, to me, is very, very, very uh, disheartening and it's a wake-up call. You know, like you've had this experience, Henry. What if you don't get paid on a contract? So you don't get money that week and you can't pay people that you have uh, contracts with so you can't pay them. They don't tell you about that part. They don't tell you that um, government has a regulation a new a new uh policy where it affects your industry so now you have to get another license which is probably going to cost you about 1500 or 2000 dollars they don't tell you those things so a lot of people go into entrepreneurship watching you know the facebooks those are great inspirational stories but those, those stories are not really that common yeah and for every guy that starts a facebook there are a million guys who failed at it and if you want to talk about, you know, how time 
makes people humble. Well, what happened before Facebook? Wasn't there, uh, what is it, MySpace? Right. The MySpace crashed and burned. So entrepreneurship, you know, is definitely uh, the uh, social Darwinism. It's the survival of the fittest. And that's what we need to tell people when they want to start their business. Many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah, and, and uh, along that analogy, then, it's about understanding, improving your odds and your chances of being chosen, right? Absolutely. But it's, it's the, you hit on such a big point. As we get sold these huge examples of great success as if failures don't come before it or as if that's the only way it works. And I think then what happens to young entrepreneurs is they fail and they think, well, that's it. I tried that. Let me go back to the safer, quote unquote, corporate route. It's this way that we deal with failure in our society that I think is at the heart of a lot of it. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree with that. I believe that, um, well, the key with entrepreneurship, you kind of hit on this is Failure is a part of the uh, package of success. When it rains, you got to deal with the mud, right? Mm. It, so, you know, you, you're, gonna, you're not going to hit a home run every time you get into a venture. You have to look at ventures like buses. One bus, you miss one bus, you got to catch the other bus. So failure is a part of the learning process. A lot of people don't want to fail. You know, I'm a perfectionist. You're probably like that too, Henry. I don't like to fail. Right. Failure to me is like somewhat says to me, you're, it's, a, it's a representation of your intelligence, and it's really not like that. It just wasn't your time. Right. You're kind of like uh, you go out to the dance, and an ugly girl comes up to you and wants to dance <laughs> with you. You say, I'm sorry, it's just not your time. <laughs> okay? It's kind of like that. It just wasn't your time. It was your time to fail. It just was not your time. Right, a lot continuing, of continuing with those, you either you stay there, you keep going at it until your time does come. Right? Absolutely. And, and there's always shifts in the marketplace. And, and one thing, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of starting businesses in a field that they worked. And you have to understand, if you work for somebody and you try to start a business in that same industry, well, remember, he's the incumbent, correct? He's already got his, he's already has a secure place in the marketplace. So if you try to start a business and replicate what you did with him, you're going to crash and burn because, one, the market is probably already saturated. And, two, the guy, is not, the guy has, already, has already made all the mistakes that you made that you're getting ready to make a long time ago, so he's in a secure position. So if you try to start a business, say, where you work, and it's not, it doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time, it usually doesn't pan out. Because you just can't, you know, you can't do what you did at the workplace and try to build a business about it. And I believe Michael uh, Gerber's book, E-Myth, talks about that. It's kind of like the Peter Principle for entrepreneurs. Just because you're a good worker in a bakery doesn't qualify you to run your own bakery business. Right. Yeah, uh, great absolutely. Takeaways. Great takeaways. All right, I'd like to dive in a little bit more now on the book. The, the subtitle of the book is Understanding the Five Forces of Entrepreneurial Risk and the Causes of Business Failure. Could you touch on one or two of those five forces? And let's chat a little bit about that if we could. Absolutely. Well, the five forces of entrepreneurial risk that I uncovered with my research is there are basically five characteristics of risk. There's personal characteristics. There's intangible operations risk. There's enterprise risk, there's market climate risk, and there's business environment risk. And uh, all of those are different risk uh, items or factors that you have to deal with when you're starting a business. And uh, if, would you like me to explain each of them? I can be, be real brief. 
Well, at a high level, yeah. And, and, I, and then what, what immediately comes to me when I go through that list of risks I had mm-hmm. read before is that there are uh-huh. some that we can have a lot of control over, and there are others that we have less control over. And that goes back to your initial point of it's mm-hmm. not until we put our product, our service, whatever, out into the market that we know whether the market's going to accept it. And we don't have as much control over those things, right? So there's some of these that we have more control over than others. I'd like you to speak to that if you would. Absolutely. Uh, personal characteristics just basically says age, gender, uh, uh, ethnicity. Uh, those are critical factors. Intangibles means the things that affect a business that are not in the business, like your uh, the legal stuff of the business, like is the name registered? Do you have a business account? Do you have a line of credit? Those type of things. Uh, enterprise risk are the operations of the business, you know, customer turnover, how the business you know, the business things that involve the interior of the business. Market climate talks about the uh, business in the marketplace. What's the climate of the business? Is the climate uh, viable? Is the climate not good for that particular business industry? And environment risk means where the business operates from, from a uh, a, uh, external uh, perspective in terms of uh, weather, uh, crime, those type of exterior factors. And most of these factors, I would say half and half, half are controllable and the other half is not controllable. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly the way I, I see it when I, when I first read about it. And uh-huh. so, but those ones that are not as controllable nonetheless, and you talk about this a lot and you talk about it in the book, let's take, let's take uh, market climate, for example. Mm-hmm. There are questions and things you can look at to help try to predict some of that best you can, right? Absolutely. Uh, market climate is probably one of the most important of the five because market climate tells you, and I have an allegory that I use for that called Mr. Market, which I borrow from Warren Buffett. Mr. Market is an allegory that says, well, if you put this product or service in the marketplace, what does Mr. Market tell you? Mr. Market is going to tell you, uh, yes, it's a good time for you to put the product on the market or the, or the business. Or Mr. Market is going to tell you no. And a lot of times people do not heed the warning of Mr. Market. So you have to look at Mr. Market as your guide to the marketplace. Is the climate right for the business? Is, the, is there a high potential or high uh, rate of market saturation? So you, Mr. Market has, has those things, has those factors involved that he's going to tell you whether you, it's the right time for you to pursue that particular market based on those factors that are involved. But what's so challenging there, D, is that Mr. Market doesn't give you a definitive answer until you put your product out there, right? So you're trying to predict what Mr. Market is going to do or behave, but we don't know until we put something out there. Uh, I would say that's a 50-50. Mr. Market tells you things, but he does, he's not going to be direct. He's going to show you, and he's going to let you make that decision for yourself. Like, case in point, uh, say if you're in an area, and I've learned this, uh, when I lived in Mexico for half a year, okay? I want to start a farm selling corn, okay? And there's 100 guys out here selling corn. So now if I try to get into the corn market, I'm going to have to compete on price because I can't really compete on value because when you eat corn, it's corn, okay? So Mr. Market, if I'm looking at Mr. Market, I'm looking at the allegory of Mr. Market, Mr. Market is going to say to me, I wouldn't do that if I was you, guy. Why? Because you have 100 competitors out there doing that same type of business. Mr. Market is going to talk to you once and twice, and he's going to leave you alone. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Market is telling you, you may not want to pursue the industry of corn because it's a commodity-based product. And anytime you have a commodity-based product, 
they primarily have to compete on price. There's, there's a, a mantra that Warren Buffett uses called uh, the, the, the difference between value and price. Price is what you pay and value is what you get. Why do some people shop at Walmart and some people shop at Neiman Marcus? The people shop at Neiman Marcus because they care about value. The people that shop at Walmart care about price. So if you can understand those two things in the context of Mr. Market, you would never, never misfire your product in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, but continuing on that, the, there are people like myself. I shop at both Neiman Marcus and at Walmart. It depends on what I'm looking for. What value am I searching for? Absolutely. Uh, if you want, if you want a top of the line, I'm being hypothetical. If you want a top of the line, uh, say computer. I don't know if they sell computers at Neiman Marcus. Probably, probably not. <laughs> well, let's say it's let's say it's high end, a high end wardrobe. I need a business suit. You need a good suit, absolutely. You look at it as an investment. You look at the suit as, okay, this is what I need to have to do what I need to do. So you don't really care about the price. You say, well, I'll just charge it, but I got to have the suit. The suit might be 500 bucks, but you say, I'm willing to, I look at it as an investment. I don't look at it as a expense. Now, if you say you're going to buy a suit at Walmart, and you're just trying to get something just for tomorrow or whatever. You say, listen, I normally don't buy a suit here, but I know I can get something for about 50 to 75 bucks. I'm going to go ahead and do this for now, but I know what I'm getting and I know what I'm spending. So I'm worried about price as opposed to value. So those same, those same characteristics have a lot to do with also with consumer behavior. When you're on the marketplace, people are people buying your product because you provide a good price or you provide good value. And you're not going to get both of them in the same place. So you owe, it, it actually probably wasn't unfair to a lot of entrepreneurs that they don't know this. Either you're competing on price or you're competing on value. And the customers will let you know if your price is worth your value or vice versa. Yeah. Good stuff. So along those lines and on these five phases, you've, you've studied a lot of entrepreneurs. You, you looked at over 500 small businesses, in fact, as part of your research. What are yes. some of the other common things that you see that come up as it relates to these five forces that people either ignore or perhaps we're ignorant about? Uh, some of the things I've noticed is, and uh, I think this is probably during the market era, era that I was in, uh, mostly I saw a lot of service-related businesses because we don't have a lot of manufacturing here. Right. Because obviously it's leaving a country. So because of that, you, don't have, you, you can't really study inventory. So I came up with a metric that I saw that was endemic in a lot of companies, especially in the services industries, is something called customer turnover, a customer batting average. And I would, I, a lot of the businesses that I looked at in terms of uh, patterns, there are a lot of businesses that have problems with customer turnover. How many customers are you turning over in a business? Because just because someone visits your establishment or visits your website doesn't mean they make a purchase. So a lot of the businesses that I uh, studied could not tell me definitively what their customer turnover ratio was. Now I thought that was a big, huge problem. So it was an issue with a lot of the businesses. Another issue with a lot of the businesses was uh, the uh, enterprise risk. And what that means is, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one, uh, owner dependency risk. What that means is, can the business make money mm. if you're away from the business? And a lot of the businesses that I studied, they did not have their systems intact. So if they left the business, the business could not continue to make, make money and, the, you know, generate profit 
through their absence. So that was a huge problem with a lot of the businesses that I studied. Yeah. So that was a, a really, really uh, key issue with some of the businesses. Yeah, no, I still see that. And that's that's what, of course, Michael Gerber talks a lot about in the e-myth is being able uh-huh. to make sure you didn't end up with just a lower paying job than you had before. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the books that every entrepreneur should have in their bookshelf is the e-myth. Because it's very, I used it, I, I referenced it in my research because I wanted to see, based on what I read in his book, how many businesses were, uh, I call it owner dependency. How many businesses were owner dependent on for the owner to be in the business for it to make its profitability? Yeah. And that was a really, really interesting uh, uh, metric that I saw. It's such a huge question. Everybody listening, if you are an existing business owner, have to ask yourself that question. If I, if I left for two months, what would happen to the business? Absolutely. Okay, so um, I had another question, but it just slipped my mind. So we'll, okay. we'll come back to uh, – oh, I know what it was <laughs> now. I remember now. So when someone comes to you now, a uh, person who hasn't started a business before, they're looking to start their first business, they're enthusiastic about a particular idea, and they're, they're ready to go, w- what's your advice to them as to how to look at some of these things and plan, and what do you say they need to go do first? Uh, one of the things that I what I that uh, jumps out at me when I talk to a new client, I say, okay, let me ask you, how much experience do you have in this industry? And that goes back to one of the personal characteristics of the risk. You you can't have a guy want to fly jets who's never never flew a jet, never took pilot classes or whatever, want to start a business in that industry because one, he's doomed to fail. And you probably say, uh, D, why do you say that? Well, you got to have some knowledge of the industry. Now, can you have some peripheral knowledge of industry that was from an industry uh, that you worked in previously? Oh, absolutely. So you want to ask the guy how much experience does he have in the industry? And if he doesn't have experience in the industry, is he putting good people around him to cover up his knowledge gap? And I also say, also tell a new client is business is a team sport. You have to find out where your circle of competence is and what you're good at, and you have to fill those gap knowledge gaps to things that you're not good at. If you're not good at accounting, you need to get an accountant or a bookkeeper to you find an accountant to you get to where you are. And most people that start a business or want to start a business, they don't think along those lines. And I'll say this till I go to my grave, business is a team sport, and it always has been a team sport. You, entrepreneur, you can't do everything well. If you wear, if you try to wear every hat, yeah, you could probably do everything, but it's something you're gonna fail at, or something you're gonna crash and burn at, because it's just not possible for you to do everything well. Yeah. So you have to learn how to delegate and try to outsource some of the things where you have a knowledge gap. That's such a challenge for us, though, D, as you as you mentioned, and that's why I think it's such a problem, because we tend to be perfectionist and we get into this mindset that only we can do it just so, and and that kills a business very quickly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a great. You, sure, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Give us an example. Yeah. I'll great. give you a great example. You don't have a business for your website, right? So you want to go to one of these uh, places that give you just a template, and you want to try to learn how to build your website. Well, why don't you just pay a guy to build a website and get it done rather than try to, you know, the learning curve? Experience is a cruel teacher. It gives the, it gives the experience first and the lesson. Do you, I mean, do you, really, do you really want to build your own website even though you never sat in front of a computer? You don't know two things about building a website? So those are one of the things that I try to tell people 
is don't try to do everything. Mm -hmm. Try to be strategic about your time and your, and your knowledge. Know what you're good at and know what you're not good at. Yeah. Not to mention that it keeps you away from what you are good at and you should be focusing on. But I want to go back Absolutely. to I want to go back to the point about having knowledge of the industry you're getting into. It is do you think that going the franchising route is one way that I can overcome my lack of knowledge in a particular industry because the franchise the franchisor gives me that knowledge. Do you buy that or do you still think that's an issue? Um to be honest with you, Henry, I say if you bought a franchise, obviously you have you have a support, you have a market support, you have the business support, you have a better probably chance of success buying a franchise. However, uh, franchises are, are, are not the golden goose sometimes. Sometimes it, uh, they fail. Franchises do fail. I'll give you a great example of a client that I was working with. Uh, she decided to do a, uh, a, a copy business that was similar to Kinko's. And she was strategically located on a, no, excuse me, it was a ca cash checking business. And uh, everything was going great. She had a franchise. They went and did the market study uh, and all of those great things. And then guess what happens? Walmart moves across the street. <laughs> did not see this coming. We, the market analysis was great. It showed you what was there. Well, what happens? Walmart actually has cash, che uh, cash checking services within uh, the, you know, their service center. She was out of business within six months, and she had a franchise. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it, uh, I say it's hit or miss. I would say you have a 75% chance of being successful with a franchise. However, franchises do fail. Yeah. And she, did, she didn't see that one coming. How, how could you prepare for a Walmart? Right. It's no way. Right. And that goes back to what we were talking about on the uh, the risk, the five forces when it comes to market mm -hmm. climate. Again, mm -hmm. you can do the analysis, but then stuff happens that is impossible to predict sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, sometimes market reports, uh, you, you, you get hit with a, a something that totally disrupts the marketplace. She had no idea Walmart was going to build a, a store there. So she did her homework, but she still miss I, don't, I wouldn't say she missed anything i'll probably say that that's just the nature of the market the market is so unpredictable the market is not static just because you you have uh over out you know great profits one year there's always people that are watching you and thinking okay she uh opened up the marketplace in that area and they're doing an economic development and revitalization that area why don't we put a Walmart store over there? Why don't we put a McDonald's store over there? Why don't we put all these other stores over there? So you have a cluster of stores that have been watching you, and actually it was a curse because you were the first one, yeah. but then you end up putting yourself out of business. So there's no way you could predict anything like that. That's The marketplace is so merciless. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the survival of the fittest. It's social Darwinism. Yep. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Great takeaways there. I'd like to take a, a back to a personal turn, if I may. I, I'd like sure. to see if you, if you if there's a decision that you've made in your life that comes to mind that has had significant impact for you now later in life. And I can think of one you mentioned earlier, but is there a decision mm -hmm. that you've made that you think back on that really has had an impact on your success in life and in business? Uh, one key decision in my life. Let's see, what could I say? I'll tell you one key decision, and it's probably going to sound real corny to you, <laughs> Henry. My dad actually made me go to college, and every the guy that you see before you, the successful guy, 
I'm a product of my father. And let me tell you what happened to me. When I was in high school, I had a high school counselor uh, call me in her office, and I guess they looked at my grades. I was an average student. She basically told me that you should not go to college, that you're not college material, mm -hmm. and you should study a trade. So I never – I I mean, I didn't get mad or anything. I just said, well, okay, I don't, I'm not going to go to college. I never told my dad this. So I'm, you know, I graduated from school. My dad literally took me in a car, took me to the community college and made me register for school. I was so upset with my father. I was, I was mad for like a week because I was done with school. And you, ha you have to understand, Henry, that there's people that, that you meet in your life that totally change your life. And there's people that you meet because God placed them there for you to meet them. It, it just wasn't the time for you to meet them. And, had it not been for my dad, I wouldn't be Dr. Miles than I am today. Because my dad actually made me go to college, and that was a critical point in my life. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, oh, absolutely. It's interesting because the same thing happened to my wife. Uh, so she grew up in— Are you serious? Yeah, she, wow. She grew up in East Texas, and she wasn't, uh, she wasn't a bad student, but she wasn't the best student. And her counselor uh -huh. could almost be the same story told her, listen, you need to consider a vocational route, is the way they put it to her. And in uh -huh. fact, they funneled her into this graphic arts program that they had to be, uh -huh. a, to be a drafts person. But it, okay. it just stuck with her, and similar to your story. And in her case, it was her that said, you know what, and I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. And so she ended up graduating from UTA here in Arlington. But it's interesting how, in your mm -hmm. case, thank goodness that you had your father's influence and you made that decision. And you respected him enough to do what he told you to do, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I'll, I'll take that a step further. God bless you telling me that story. That I see, uh, I really feel good about that because you have children, I have children. I'm very, very involved with my daughter's education. Right. And if somebody told one of my kids that, oh my I'm not going to say I'm going to kill them, but no, I hear you. we're going to have a conversation like because to, to, have to, to limit to limit their future for them with those simple words is just it's horrible. Absolutely. You want to hear something funny? I did an interview with Forbes, right? I wasn't a guy that, that they want to tell to go to college, right? Well, nobody that the, that I graduated from high school with has ever been interviewed in Forbes. Yeah. I have. Yeah. So that same lady that told me that, I, I, I wish I could send her a copy of the Forbes issue that they interviewed me in because you know what? You don't never kill a kid's dream. Nope. And, and uh, that's why I'm so hard on school. You can tell when I talk about colleges and universities because how dare somebody tell you what they think you should do? Everybody has their epiphany sometime in their life. You know, maybe your skills weren't apparent at school because whatever was at school, it didn't capture your interest. But maybe when you got, maybe went to college later and learned about what you really like to do, sometimes, you know, it just happens that way. So we had to be very careful about underestimating the intelligence of a child in school. And that same woman that told your wife that or whoever or told me that, they don't see beyond what they see with your grades. Grades are not an indicator of intelligence. No. Grades just say how well you did in a class. Yeah, or on a test, right? And that's that's absolutely, thing. absolutely. Yeah, no, we we could talk about this forever, D, and it's it's, it's such an impactful point. So thanks for sharing that story. Uh, no problem. I definitely, I think your listeners should hear that. You know, somebody probably told them in school you need to study janitorial arts or something and whatever. 
And, you know, we have to really be careful about what we, what we tell students in school. They don't tell you to go be an entrepreneur and be a millionaire. I'll tell you another story. <laughs> you want to hear something funny? I told my professor when I was graduating my doctorate, he says, well, what do you plan on doing after you graduate? I says, well, I want to start a multi-million dollar business and I want to be a millionaire. And he looked at me like, really? Hmm. Interesting. I said, I said uh, yeah. He goes, that's not possible. And I said, well, why, why not? Why is that not possible? And he couldn't give me a definitive answer. And, I, and it, 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 went, it reminded me of when I was a high school student, how somebody thought your outlook is not the same as your high school counselor. It was I was I was reliving what happened to me at high school. I venture that that person (laughs) told you that because they can't see themselves doing that. It's their limitation that they're trying to put onto you. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. How dare you tell your professor you want to be a millionaire and he he never thought about doing that. That's right. (laughs) D, what do you love most about what you do today? What I love most about what I do is probably going to surprise you. I love helping clients. I love figuring out problems. I love seeing other people be successful. That's what I love the most about what I do. Yeah. It's not, I would, you know, one thing that, that you can tell that you're an entrepreneur about is if you weren't getting paid, would you still do the same thing? Mm-hmm. I still would do the same thing if I wasn't getting paid for it. Yeah, great way to look at it. No, and it does not surprise me that that's what you love to do. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap it up. You've given us some book recommendations, The E-Myth, The Cash Flow Quadrant, which I think is a Kiyosaki book, right, Robert Kiyosaki? Oh, uh, one of the best books that you could ever have. Uh, every entrepreneur should have that book. Yeah, I read that. That should be the – That one and uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad were key influential for me to how to think about money. And, of course, The E-Myth has been uh, really at the heart of how I think about business. Oh, absolutely. Those are entrepreneurs should have those two books in their uh, library because it will demystify the uh, glass or the rose colored glasses with uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah. All right. And then, of course, there's your book again. It's Risk Factors and Business Models Understanding the Five Forces of Entrepreneurial Risk and the Causes of Business Failure. We will have links to Dee's book, as well as the other books we've talked about on the show notes page for this episode. We'll wrap it up with this question. Dee, any last parting thought or advice for our listeners? Sure, I'll leave you a quick soundbite. When you want to start a business, you should think about this. All businesses are guilty until proven innocent, and you will find out whether you're innocent based on the response in the marketplace. Love that. And where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and your business? Oh, absolutely. You can go to my website, uh, mdicorpventures.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on ResearchGate. I have workshops that I've conducted with uh, entrepreneurs and other things I've done. Uh, I'm uh, talk about some of the cases where I'm an expert witness in. And I, uh, also I'm on Amazon uh, and I think Barnes & Noble. And I'm on, uh, obviously, Twitter, all the main food groups in terms of social media. <laughs> so uh, you definitely, definitely, if you want to go to my website, you can get some information about me and uh, LinkedIn. I think you'll be good. Great. And we'll have links to that again on the show notes page for this episode. Dr. Miles, it has been my privilege, sir, to have you on our show today. Thanks for being with us and sharing your knowledge and stories. Thank you so much for having me, Henry, and uh, we got to do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> we will definitely have you back on because there's so much more we can talk about that, <laughs> Absolutely. That, that we didn't even touch on. 
Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.